Hello and welcome to episode 506 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Thursday, April 20th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Thursday prayer from the great saint and doctor of the church, St. Alphonsus Liguri, to the most blessed Virgin Mary to obtain heaven. O Queen of Paradise, who reignest above all the choirs of angels, and who art the nearest of all creatures to God, I, a miserable sinner, salute thee from this valley of tears, and beseech thee to turn thy compassionate eyes towards me. For whichever side they turn, they dispense graces. See, O Mary, in how many dangers I now am, and shall be as long as I live in this world, of losing my soul, of losing heaven and God. In thee, O Lady, I have placed all my hopes. I love thee and sigh to go soon to see thee and praise thee in heaven. Ah, Mary, when will be that happy day on which I shall see myself safe at thy feet and contemplate my mother who has done so much for my salvation? When shall I kiss that hand which has delivered me so many times from hell and has dispensed me so many graces when, on account of my sins, I deserve to be hated and abandoned by all? My lady, in life, I have been very ungrateful to thee, but if I get to heaven, I shall no longer be ungrateful. There I shall love thee as much as I can in every moment for all eternity, and shall make amends for my ingratitude by blessing and thanking thee forever. I thank God with my whole heart, who gives me firm confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thee, and the conviction that thou wilt save me, that thou wilt deliver me from my sins, that thou wilt give me light and strength to execute the divine will and in fine that thou wilt lead me to the gate of paradise. Thy servants have hope for all this, and not one of them was deceived. No, neither shall I be deceived. O Mary, my full confidence is that thou hast to save me. Beseech thy son Jesus, as I also beseech him, by the merits of his passion, to preserve and always increase this confidence in me, and I shall be saved. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them. With love for thee, amen. Holy face of Jesus of the Vale of Veronica. Dear Lord, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer these prayers in reparation for the sins which most offend God in our times. Blasphemy, the profanation of Sunday and holy days, and communism. Pater noster, quies in celi, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostra. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. The Golden Arrow Prayer. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most mysterious and unutterable name of God be praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in the hells by all God's creatures and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. For the defeat of communists, Freemasons, and all revolutionary men. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Eternal Father, we offer thee the holy face of Jesus, covered with blood, sweat, dust, and spittle, in reparation for the crimes of communists, blasphemers, and for the profaners of the holy name, and of the holy day of Sunday. Amen. God of goodness and Father of mercies, we beseech thee, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary and by the intercession of the patriarchs and holy apostles, to look with compassion upon the remnant of Israel, so that they may come to a knowledge of our only Savior, Jesus Christ, and share in the precious graces of redemption. Amen. Well, folks, this isn't the Dr. Peter Kwasniewski show. It is the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, but Dr. K does such wonderful work that I find myself sharing it on a regular basis. We've discussed that he has a blog now, a substack called Tradition and Sanity, located at traditionsanity.substack.com. And this is the first article from his substack. And I really think all his stuff is worthy to take a look at. He always has tremendous insight. And of course, he's a man of great erudition and, and wide learning. This is entitled, No Eucharistic Revival Without Restoration. The how-to manual has been written for a long, long time, but the ones in charge don't want to read it. And it was published today, April 20th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Preliminaries. He says, Dear subscribers to Tradition and Sanity, I am overwhelmed by the support you've given me as I start this substack. It knocked me off my feet. We went from scratch to 1,800 subscribers and counting. Many of you made pledges for the future. Thank you. I will pray for you. Specifically, you will be my intention at the offering of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass every Thursday. Speaking of which, after last week's inaugural post, this week I deliberately turned my attention to the Most Holy Sacrament of the Altar, the reason I chose Thursday as my main posting day. A pretty price tag for preening and prancing. The Catholic bishops of the United States, bless their souls, have staged, crossed out, undertaken what they charmingly call a national Eucharistic revival, including, as its culmination, a Congress with a $14 million price tag. Originally, the figure of $28 million was being batted around. If they or their appointed representatives had bothered to spend a bit of time and a few bucks standing outside traditional Latin mass chapels around the country and quizzing the exiting faithful or sent emails to a fairly random selection of traditionalist writers online, they could have discovered affordable secrets to a rapid-fire national revival and saved themselves a great deal of money and public relations effort. What are these secrets? I am prepared to divulge them here in the form of a handy chart prepared by my friend Jacob Bauer, who sings with me in the local scola. And a chart is given here. It says, Practices of Eucharistic Devotion in the Mass. And three columns, Practice, Traditional, and New. The Faithful Receiving Kneeling on the Tongue. Traditional, Required, New, Optional. The Faithful Receiving from the Hands of a Priest or Deacon. Traditional, required, new, optional. The faithful receiving with a communion patent. Traditional, required, new, optional. The minister of communion making the sign of the cross with the host over the communicant. Traditional, required, new, suppressed. 
the priest keeping his thumb and forefinger joined from consecration to ablutions. Traditional, required, new, optional. The priest genuflecting before and after any handling of the sacred species. Traditional, required, new, suppressed. The priest genuflecting before and after each elevation at the consecration. Traditional, required, new, reduced to one genuflection. Lay people forbidden from touching the sacred species. Traditional, required, new, suppressed. Lay people forbidden from touching the sacred vessels. Traditional, required, new, suppressed. The priest not turning his back on the tabernacle for more than a passing moment. Traditional, required, new, optional. Fingers purified with wine and water. Traditional, required, new, suppressed. Sacred vessels purified with wine and water. Traditional, required, new, optional. Purification at the altar. Traditional, required, new, optional. Purification during Mass. Traditional, required, new, optional. And finally, clergy genuflecting to the tabernacle during the Mass proper. Traditional, required, new, suppressed. What this proves is staggeringly obvious. The traditional liturgy exhibits every possible form of reverence toward our Lord Jesus Christ, really present in the most holy sacrament of the altar, who therefore deserves the adoration of latria reserved to God alone. And what is no less significant, this liturgy requires it to be done just this way and in no other way. For all the glorious details, see my public lecture, What's Really Required for a Eucharistic Revival, Rethinking How We Reproach, excuse me, Approach the Holy Eucharist, and even more, my book, The Holy Bread of Eternal Life, Restoring Eucharistic Reverence in an Age of Impiety. I've read that book. It's wonderful. I believe it's probably now at the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel of uh, Nativity of Our Lord in Orchard Park. Dr. K continues by saying, those who attend this magnificent liturgy are left in no doubt at all that the church believes the sacrament of the altar to be something altogether special something inherently sacred. Even if a certain person were confused about what the sacrament is, let's say a first-time non-Catholic visitor to a church who doesn't know what Catholics believe or has only the vaguest idea of it, he wouldn't have any doubt that these people believe something or someone very special is in their midst, for which or for whom they're prepared to humble themselves over and over again. For after all, a greater than Solomon is here. A greater than Jonah is here. Homilies and catechesis are secondary, is the next section. The underlying premise of the USCCB Eucharistic Revival is that nothing essential or substantive needs to change in the new liturgy. None of its rubrics, its texts, its ceremonies, its customs, its options— Maybe it would be nice now and again to add a few of the old smells and bells, but that's it. Instead, we need lots and lots of preaching and catechesis. The slicker, the better. We need to tell people, Jesus is really here. Guess what? If the world were made up of men like King Solomon, who represents intellectual knowledge, which in the end didn't save him from his vices, or like the prophet Jonah, who represents revealed knowledge and who almost botched his mission. But in any case, this whole affair is not just a matter of knowledge. It is a matter of internalizing the truth of the faith by means of repeated in-your-face and in-your-knees bodily action. 
by unequivocal prayers that point over and over to the reality before us, by a powerful nexus of symbols honed over the course of centuries, and by a crystal clear distinction between clergy and laity that is not canceled out ad libitum by a permeable sanctuary, interchangeable roles, and casual behavior. Let's get back to the idea that revival will somehow be produced by a slick program aimed at homiletics and catechetics and culminating in a gigantic and expensive Congress that, however well-intentioned, will be a flash in the pan, leaving behind a lot of paper trash. The word was made paper, as a German newspaper headline on the Synod cleverly put it. The trouble is, talk is cheap, nowadays more than ever, and actions have always spoken louder than words. That's in our human nature. Words go in one ear and out the other. What we need is to show in the way we act during Mass that we believe what we say we do. The contrary is also true. If we don't act at Mass in a way that plausibly corresponds to what we say we believe, then our words become meaningless. They have no verification outside the realm of talk. Talk, talk, talk. That seems to be the sole modus operandi of the bureaucratic church model under which we currently suffer. The next section is generational fixations instead of genuine fixes. The important and obvious changes that could be made to the Novus Ordo will never be made as long as the Vatican II generation is still in charge because that whole slate of rubrics to which the chart above points reminds these people of the dreaded, quote, old mass, and from there to mean sisters wielding rulers and every other bugbear of the 1950s is but a tiny step. Sad to say, for a certain type of bishop, Vatican II is more important than the real presence. The sign of this is that they will stop at nothing to shore up Vatican II, but they will not lift a finger to remedy the Novus Ordo's grave manifest and stubborn defects when it comes to the veneration and distribution of the most blessed sacrament. That means, just to dot the I's and cross the T's, when it comes to Jesus himself. No wonder some say that the last council and the reforms executed in its name have become a veritable golden calf. In a way, this calf seems to be worshipped more than the true God on the altar of sacrifice. For Catholic clergy and laity are punished, both secretly and openly, for not burning a pinch of incense to the latest Roman interpretation of Vatican II, but they are seldom, if ever, punished for sloppy, cringy, irreverent, or even sacrilegious masses and communions. Have a look at Chicago, a city all the windier for its chief prelate, who apparently is so fixated on the stale ideas of the 1970s that he is discouraging Eucharistic adoration for the part of the Eucharistic revival that occurs in his domain. The canons regular of St. John Cantius and the Institute of Christ the King's Sovereign Priest are hammered with restrictions. A diocesan priest battling cancer can be penalized for worshiping ad orientum, and links are given. But a priest can give a final blessing waving around a guitar, or dancers and leotards can frolic in the sanctuary and no heads roll. And that's not even broaching the issue of scattered Eucharistic particles and sloppy sacristy habits that make most Catholic churches into engines of desecration calling down wrath from heaven. Three R's 
for a church in need of re-education is the next section. True Eucharistic renewal will involve three other R's that it seems no one wants to talk about except for the scorned and feared trads. Repentance, a huge upswing in Catholics going to confession. Reparation, people doing penances to repair, that is, make up for dishonors and sacrileges against the Holy Eucharist. And restoration, putting back in place what the wisdom of centuries, nay millennia, had developed under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That is what true Eucharistic renewal will look like. I'm afraid I can't advise you to hold your breath as you wait for it to happen, particularly when the official rubrics are not just unhelpful, but stubbornly wrong-headed. For example, the USCCB rubric that makes standing to receive Holy Communion normative and the long-standing death grip of communion in the hand falsely attributed to the ancient church. Rather, I advise you, if you're not already doing it, to remain with or to hasten as quickly as you can to the traditional Latin mass closest to you. The TLM wasn't broken and didn't need any fixing. It is right as rain, good as gold, ready to go, perfect in all that pertains to the formal, solemn, public worship of God. This, bishops of the United States, this is the Eucharistic revival you've been looking for, or at least that what you say you are looking for. Let your support of the flourishing TLM communities, in despite of Francis's unhinged and uncatholic attack on the church's traditions, be the undeniable sign, not only for us, but for the judge of the quick and the dead, Jesus Christ, whose body and blood you handle daily at the altar, that you are serious about seeking sacramental renewal, because that's where it's happening. The journey back is the next section. In a passage from his memoir, Gentle Regrets, Thoughts from a Life, Roger Scruton, one of my favorite philosophers of culture, speaks about the modern destruction of the natural and civic world and the abandonment of religious norms that once guarded us morally. His words are uncannily pertinent to the Catholic hierarchy's 20th century abandonment of the religious norms of our tradition, a fault as yet unacknowledged and unrepented as well as to the current campaign against traditionalists. Like sheep we go astray, and like sheep we stray as a crowd. Moreover, sheep that stray from their pasture are making a huge mistake. They are venturing into territory where they are no longer protected. We improvise from day to day, and each day we become more deeply mired in error. Every attempt to correct our mistakes seems merely to add to them. And those who tell us this are greeted with anger and vilification, since the one thing that people wedded to error cannot bear is the truth. Men who tell the truth are dangerous. They should be crucified. The right course for those sheep who have strayed into unknown territory is to go back through the hole in the hedge. This is the essence of the religious life, not progress, and experiment, but the journey back to the place that protects us. It is a mark of our sinful nature that those who advocate this course are so often sneered at. Yet there is a way back to those cooling streams, which can be rediscovered at any time. So ends the Scruton quote. And Dr. K says, the, the cooling streams 
of Eucharistic doctrine, piety, and liturgy can indeed be rediscovered. They are being rediscovered. But the high priest and his Sanhedrin will have none of it. Those backwardists should be, if not crucified, then expelled from parish churches and driven underground if they cannot first be driven to despair. Their activities should be unlisted in bulletins, stamped with a one- or two-year expiration date, subjected to arbitrary restrictions. They are more dangerous than the LGBTQ plus activists, the German synodal schismatics, the advocates, advocates of female deacons and priests, the abortionists appointed to the Pontifical Academy for Life. This is the absurd situation through which we are living. Its patent absurdity is the reason why traditionalists are now more certain than they have ever been of the rightness of their cause. We owe a lot to Francis the Clarifier. Next section is entitled, Am I a Cynic or Just Battle-Seasoned? Some people accuse me of cynicism in my interpretations of church politics, but to be honest, I've learned over the past few decades that realities in the church today usually turn out to be, if anything, worse than my allegedly cynical interpretations first led me to believe. For example, most of what has been done to address clerical abuse by the USCCB or the Vatican seems to be a gigantic ineffectual smokescreen. It neither truthfully admits the root of the problem nor empowers the laity to address it in ways that are stricter and more impartial than when clergy are left to judge clergy. And especially when bishops are in charge of evaluating bishops. Bronwyn McShay has done some devastating work on this subject. See her articles, Bishops Unbound at First Things and The Age of the Laity? Historical Considerations in Light of the Crisis, Josephinum Journal of Theology. McShay demonstrates with cold, hard facts that contrary to the mantra Vatican II ushered in the age of the laity, the laity have never been more dispossessed of real authority in the Catholic social ecclesial body than they have been roughly since the time of Vatican I, followed by the Pio Benedictine Code of Canon Law, and even more since Vatican II, followed by its new Code of Canon Law. Unless you want to count the fluffy ways in which they have been clericalized in proliferating pseudo-ministries, a theme I deal with in my book, Ministers of Christ, Recovering the Roles of Clergy and Laity in an Age of Confusion. Similarly, when Paul VI was canonized, one of several canonizations whose legitimacy has been questioned by traditional Catholics for reasons spelled out at length in this book, and a hyperlink is given, I predicted that it was a particularly nasty form of promoviator ut amoviator. In other words, put him high up on a pedestal, out of reach and out of mind, so that he's tidally out of the way when the time comes for dismantling humanae vitae, mysterium fidei, the credo of the people of God, or any other orthodox ingredient of his decidedly mixed legacy. In an article a few years back, I quoted a friend of mine who put it rather well. The motu proprio, a parawit illis, follows a trend. Celebrate something in order to denigrate and forget it. The year of the priest, a year where more priests than ever are thrown under the bus by their bishops. The year of mercy, to remind everyone that those guilty of clericalism can't be saved and that there's no mercy for traditionally minded Catholics. Synodality, to express that you have no voice, only the Pope, Coco Palmerio, Coco Palmerio's boyfriend and his friends do. 
issue a document to end all abuses before tolerating or spurring on more of them. Canonize John Paul II and then forget about his teaching in Familiaris Consortio. Canonize Paul VI and dismiss Humanae Vitae. Canonize John Henry Newman and solemnly distort his views on the development of doctrine and why the Catholic Church is the one true church. Now with Eperuit Illus, celebrate the word of God so as to ignore the word of God. Dr. K continues, so too with the Eucharistic revival. I'm afraid it has less to do with actually reviving Eucharistic belief and devotion and more to do with spending lots of money on a glitzy campaign that makes it look as if the bishops care what the faithful believe and do. I'm sure there are a few bishops who do care. Indeed, I know personally and admire several worthy successors of the apostles. But the USCCB's plan, like the expensive plans of modern bureaucracies in general, is absolutely and totally ineffectual to accomplish it. Meanwhile, the God-given solutions are sitting in the venerable old Missal Romanum and in the communities that flourish in its presence, in his presence. So ends the article. Uh, a wonderful blog, traditionsanity.substack.com, a wonderful theologian and author of Sacred Music, Check out everything Dr. K writes, his books, his articles, uh, his music. Head on over to YouTube and check it out. Absolutely phenomenal. Let us conclude by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma.org. And also episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast in which I discuss with my wonderful niece and equally wonderful sister, RPM, which is an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers. This has opened up the door to communication for thousands of non-speakers, and we hope and pray that it will do the same for thousands more because communication is a human right. Let's pray now for help and healing for non-speaking friends and family members. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you, through the intercession of St. Raphael Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health, that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. The prayer of St. Louis de Montfort. Hail, Joseph the Just. Wisdom is with you. Blessed are you among all men, and blessed is Jesus, the fruit of Mary, your faithful spouse. Holy Joseph, worthy foster father of Jesus Christ, pray for us sinners and obtain divine wisdom for us from God now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The three Hail Marys in honor of the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. A gloria patri for a special intention. 
Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. Sweetheart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. Virgo potens, ora pronobis. Sancti Osef, terra daimonum, ora pronobis. Sancta Raphael, archangeli, ora pronobis. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 506 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. If you think Our Lady's podcast is worthy of it, please give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to this. Most importantly, offer up prayers and sacrifices for our Catholic bishops. Goodbye and God love you.